Southern Soul Livestream is a weekly talk show and music hangout where the hosts learn your name and just might remind you of a favorite relative. We spotlight fascinating people, discuss current events, and pay special attention to lifting up generations. So if you want to know more, learn more, be more, or just be, Southern Soul Livestream is the place for you. Join us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Just log on, kick back, and experience the eclectic vibe. Check us out at soullivestream.com. Welcome, welcome. Miss Lativia, thank you for being here tonight. I am excited. I'm telling you why. Is that, you know, we've been covering these topics of legacy planning. We've had various speakers speak on the topic, but you know who we haven't spoken with? You. We have not spoken with a lawyer, someone who has dedicated their career and their focus to helping people understand and figure this stuff out. And we've we spoken with, for example, last month, um, a specialist on, you know, end of life care and talking about the importance of having, you know, certain paperwork in place. And we talk with life coaches, financial life coaches that talk about the financial part, but we haven't spoken with a legal professional. Latif, if you don't mind just introducing yourself, telling a few people um, a few things about you and letting us know what you do in your background. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here and excited to, about the topic in general. But um, I always say I grew up around the world uh, thanks to my dad's career in the military. So I would say that has always shaped me. But um, I love sparking conversation, facilitating conversation, um, and helping people to just see things from a different perspective. So I currently uh, own LA Legal Solutions, but I would say I bring to that about 10 to 12 years of experience working in higher ed, private uh, practice. And everything that I've done has always had a, I would say there's been a underlying focus of education and trying to help people see things from a different perspective. And so that is why I do what I do. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. So tonight, what we wanted to focus on is the community. And As you can imagine, when it comes to these matters, sometimes in the community, you know, we struggle, you know, for various reasons. One of the things that I enjoyed on In the Life Care, when they kind of talked about how, you know, as we, you know, get older, it's time to consider certain paperwork, but some people just aren't ready. And one of the things that really left me speechless was the story of a older gentleman that said, hey, you know, if they don't care about how I live, why would they care about how I, you know, leave this place? And as we dug into it, we discovered that there were certain spiritual nuances or beliefs or even lifestyle that made people, you know, less comfortable with this legacy planning. Can you just kind of give us some perspectives of some major challenges that you see, you know, in the community when it comes to these matters? Sure. Yeah. So what you say, what you shared, unfortunately, is not uncommon. Um, so like I said, that is one that people have the sense of I don't have anything or I don't have an estate or I don't have anything to leave. I don't have any money or no one cares about me or I'm not really thinking about it. Or a bigger one is I don't want to talk about it.
about that. Like, I don't want to think about that. Don't bring that up to me uh, because some people have this thought of if I talk about it, it's going to happen. And not even unfortunately, but the fact of the matter is we are all going to die at some point. Um, And so it's not a, it's not always something that I would say it gives you the warm and fuzzies talking about if we're sick or, you know, in a position where we can't take care of ourselves or even what happens after we pass away. But it is a necessary conversation because unfortunately, specifically in our community, those conversations don't happen until someone's in the hospital. Um, and they're not in a position to make decisions for themselves or until after a person passes away and we're trying to figure out what to do, who's going to pay for the funeral, who's doing the body, who gets what. Um, a myriad of things that come up and because we put off or avoid the conversation, um, trying to not make someone uncomfortable. But I I say, I want us to get comfortable being uncomfortable and having these conversations so that way we can be informed and we can help make better decisions. Um, And so that people know that, hey, I do care. I care about you while you're living and I care about the legacy that you're going to leave. Yeah, thank thank you for that. You know, as as a legal profession, I'm I'm wondering, you know, when people contact you, you know, are they in that place that you describe where you know it's at this point where it's more reactive, or are things changing? Are people starting to be more proactive about it? I'm just kind of curious of you know, when do people contact you? You know, what are they asking for? What situation they're in? Like, what are some things that you're seeing? And you know, reason I ask that because I'm curious if you you know, have any recommendation on how you would like to see things change, right? You know, and we'll get into, you know, estate planning, advanced medical directive, power of attorney, and all of that. But I'm just kind of curious at what you're seeing versus, you know, what you would like to see, you know, as, you know, people come to you. Sure. I can honestly say I have started to see a shift. I am getting more inquiries about, okay, hey, what is it or what is the process? Um, I think it's still... I still, I say it's probably still 60, 40 in terms of people being more reactionary of like, I got a, I got a call uh, about a week ago, you know, oh, my mother just had a sick and I'm trying to figure out what to do. Um, a lot of times that's when someone will try to get a power of attorney when the person is uh, in the hospital and incapacitated. And unfortunately at that point, it's too late because that's not something that the person can do. Um, so it's still, I want to say more reactionary, but I am seeing I guess, an uptick in people being a bit more proactive and at least asking the conversation, asking the questions. And I would say, for example, all of the people who are watching tonight, they're at least aware of it. And they're, I would say, I always tell people that's in some respects, taking the big first step of acknowledging this is something that I need to know about. And this is something that I need to take action on. So my goal, my hope is that people will continue to uh, attend or, or watch events as th- such as this and engage in the conversation and then actually take the step to call and hire an attorney to work with an attorney or a financial planner or advisor to create a plan. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. So let's let's, let's get into the terms. Um, it's, it's good to know that, you know, there is a shift in people being proactive because I know it leads to better experiences for all involved. But let's talk about some of the, you know, technical words, right? And and I'm, I've mentioned a few, but maybe I left some out. Estate planning, advanced medical directive, power attorney. Do you mind, what do all these terms mean? Like, if you don't mind breaking it down for us, and, you know, if you have anybody out there who are getting ready to have that conversation, they're finally getting past that 
feeling that says, okay, I'm going to talk to someone, you know, what do these terms mean and, and where should they start? And, you know, um, what should they, what type of help should they ask for? Sure. Yeah. So estate plan, I guess we can start with the estate planning, which I have personally started to try to get away from that because I realize it just sometimes seems daunting. But estate planning is essentially just that it's creating a plan, um, an action plan, kind of putting some steps in place of what you want to happen to your estate, to your, you know, if you, and I think people often think estate means it has to be this big, I'm wealthy, I've got all these properties and, and all this money, but it really just means my life, the things that I own, what do I want to have it? So making a plan for that. A will is at, at its core, it's just a written legal document that spells out what you want to happen when you die and who gets what, as well as appointing someone that you want to be responsible for making sure your wishes happen. Um, and so another thing that a word or phrase you'll hear in terms of a will is a personal representative or an executor, depending on the state that you live. And that is the person who I would always say is uh, the lucky one who gets to make sure everything gets done after you pass away. Um, an advanced medical directive or healthcare power of attorney, and depends, like I said, once again, depending on where you live, that is instructions on how you want your healthcare to be handled and who you want to make those decisions. Um, that, as well as a power of attorney, a power of attorney is giving someone else the right to act as though they were you, to stand in their, in your place. Um, and there's financial power of attorneys, there's durable power of attorneys, there's some, I would say, that are specific to real estate transactions, but in uh, specific to estate planning, you're generally dealing with a financial or durable power of attorney. Um, and like I said, that gives someone, like if I give you power of attorney over me, you can have access to my bank accounts, you can enter into contracts on my behalf. You can sell my house. You can buy, you know, you can make purchases in my um, name. And so I like to refer to the advanced medical directive and the power of attorney as more of life documents because they apply while we're still living. And so anyone, regardless of your bank account, the, you know, your, your portfolio, whatever you have, or if you don't, if you feel like you don't have anything, those are documents that I think are important for all of us, regardless of age, if you're, um, I should say if you're 18 or older, because as I think every day, but definitely these last two years with living in this pandemic has shown us is, you know, we just never know what's going to happen. And you, those situations are stressful enough. And so if we can do some things now to reduce a little bit of that stress on ourselves, as well as our loved ones, then let's do that now. Um, because I actually uh, have a client now that we're working on some things because her spouse is uh, is is sick and in the hospital, and just because there's some things that weren't in place, his family has essentially inserted themselves, and they want to be the ones making the decisions. And so it it just creates more stress in an already stressful situation. You know, I, I really like that term, um, life documents, right? Because you know, even when I think about these documents, right, they, they all kind of seem like morbid documents, right? They, they don't really seem like happy documents, but mm -hmm. that terminology of life documents, it definitely does put a different spin on it. And I definitely agree with you that things can be a lot more stressful than they have to be or complicated if these life documents aren't in place. So, you know, um, I guess I'm kind of curious because, you know, initially, let's say being a novice on the outside looking in, I'm like, 
oh, I think these things are expensive. I think I'm going to hire an attorney. This is going to be really expensive. I don't want to pay for it. I'll just let the family figure it out. Um, versus I also heard things such as, oh, well, you know, we can go spend $60 to get us a kit and we can create some life documents with a kit. Break it down for us. What's the difference between, you know, hiring someone like you and essentially going somewhere like Kinko's and getting a kit? You know, um, have you seen that? What are your suggestions or recommendations? Definitely have seen it and I've had conversations with people about it. Um, it can be daunting, especially like I said, you, some, a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. Um, so yes, there are kits, there are different, I would say third party sites that you can go online and kind of fill in, they ask you questions and they generate a document for you. Um, that can work. What I, uh, the reason that I encourage people to at least have a conversation with an attorney um, and or as well as I should say, as well as a financial advisor is because of that fact that we don't, you don't know what you don't know. And you can get a kit and it'll give you instructions. But for one, those kits are pretty universal. Even some of the online um, platforms now, they'll say, you know, select your state and they have some standard, I'm sure, you know, they put in things so that it defaults to whatever the standard terms are for your state. So those can work, but you take the risk of it not being specific enough to your situation. Um, and so that's where the benefit of having, uh, like I said, at minimum, a consultation with an attorney so you can talk about it. Because a lot of times it's, and I know from like, the way that I approach it is we're just going to have a conversation. What do you like to do? What's important to you? Um, are there any items that you know your children really like? Or, you know, if there, do you collect jewelry? Like I have a godmom who loves, she creates this like train set, this, this village around Christmas every year. I know that that's very important to her and she would want, she would not just want it to be thrown away or tossed aside when she passes. So it's more about being able to have a conversation and uh, like I said, going through a series of questions of, well, what about this? What about that? Because a lot of times we'll forget things. And if you're, if it's not on that checklist in that kit that you're going through, you might not think about it. And then there's also, I would say some of the things that are not in these kits or these uh, third-party services is there's a lot that happens outside of what goes in the will. Um, if you have a retirement accounts, investments, uh, uh, what is it, like insur you know, life insurance policies, all of those things have different uh, rules of, that apply to them. So like for a life insurance policy, I don't care if you put that you want it to go to John in your will, if you have Susie listed on your, as the beneficiary on the life insurance policy, that money is going to her and it's going to be hers to decide what she wants to do with it. Um, about, you know, thinking about what to do with your bank accounts. Uh, a lot of people don't know that if you do not, that you can create a transfer on death or payable on death that you add to your bank account. So that way, when you pass away, the money is essentially released to that person. Because if you don't have that set up and there's not a joint owner on the account, when you pass away, whether you have a will or not, your personal representative is going to have to wait until they open the probate case and then essentially get orders or permission from the judge state or from the court that uh, essentially gives the bank permission to release that money to you. So if there's money in the account that would help pay for some of the funeral expenses or just final costs, you can't access it. 
because you need the court's permission. So these are things that, um, like I said, some people will figure out on can or will figure out on their own, but there's a benefit of being able to have a conversation. So yes, it's going to cost, but I say it's worth it to make that investment in yourself as well as your family. Because like I said, what can we do now to lighten the load later? Awesome. Awesome. You know, you, you really helped there with a lot of practical concerns, right? You know, I always, you know, can imagine the importance of hiring a professional, you know, law has always been one of those things that, you know, can be a bit, you know, daunting, right? So I, I like the way you described it and the way I would, you know, what I heard what you said is that, you know, I've seen scenarios where things are just complicated, right? You're already dealing with a lot. You're dealing with emotion. I've heard about these horrible things, right, where people have to put their name in the newspaper so they can discover, you know, if this person owes anybody to any money to anybody and the type of embarrassment that can bring on a family or loved ones. And, you know, I also see, you know, people who are like, well, you know, I don't care. Or I, I, I really don't, you know, worry about such things. The way you described it, I love it. It's, hey, it's going to be a complicated time and there's a lot of pieces. And by definitely speaking with a professional, you have someone who's trained and aware of not only not only all of the pieces, but how they fit together, which document is going to be, you know, more important than the other document. And also important is that access to funds is going to be, you know, important because we all know what happens when people don't have that access to funds because there's not a proper signature in a certain location. It calls all kinds of complications. So thank you for describing that. Um, I'm going to a um, couple last questions. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Based on what you've seen in the community and in your experience, what is your hope for the community, right, that you would see, you know, us embrace this topic a little differently, more effectively, more efficiently? Any thoughts of, you know, wisdom you would share with us to, like, say, hey, you know, we hope we would have conversations with our family or do this differently? Any suggestions there? Uh, as Nike says, just do it. But my, my hope is really... For us to realize, hey, we have a right to this too. We are included in this too. This is not just for them. Um, this isn't a, it's not something that white people do. It's something that we do, we need to do and we can do and that we have things that are worth saving. Mm-hmm. Creating, you know, now more and more, we have a lot of people creating, not even just a matter of creating businesses, but there's value in what we have just because, the they's or the them's don't necessarily think it's valued the same way. It has value to us. And so it's better to start talking about it and making sure that people know what we have, what the importance of it is. Cause it could be, um, I didn't watch it, but I saw a little thumbnail for like a movie made in the nineties about the piano lesson. And it was essentially this family We don't have much, but we have this piano that has been passed down from generation to generation. What are we, you know, and then some difficult things happen. So what do we have to do to make sure we keep it in the family? So it's just a matter of, I guess the hope is put value, you know, recognize the value of ourselves and what we have. And just because it's not seen as valuable in a traditional sense or a commercial sense, it's still valuable and it's worth holding on to. Um, I was actually speaking with someone last week and they shared how 
because nobody knew where things were or nobody knew about something when their grandmother passed, they ended up losing a house in New York. It was a brownstone. And it's it's like, and the lady, you know, essentially was saying, hey, had I known, I would have figured out something so we could get it to at least save it. So then even if we had to sell it, we could sell it and get that, get the proceeds as opposed to the state. Um, and, and this is not a part of the hope, but one thing I did want to make sure that I point out one of the reasons it's important to plan is because even if we don't plan, the state has already created a plan for you. Every state has something called the Intestate Succession Act, and that essentially spells out who gets what and what percentages if you are to die without a will. And they have gone into very many details. If you have um, a spouse, if you don't, if you have a spouse and children, if you have parents who are still living, if you have siblings, if you have no heirs, it breaks down what will happen to your assets, and all of them include a percentage of it going to the state that you were a resident of. Wow. They've made a plan for us, so we have the right and the option to create our own plan. Thank you. Thank you for that. And and the last question before we um, um, pivot to our second segment and speak on financial um, building, um, tell us about your company and the services you offer. Sure. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I realized briefly, my my law firm is LA Legal Solutions, um, and I focus on estate planning as well as uh, working with small business owners in terms of business formation, contract drafting, um, and review, and then uh, trademark and copyright registrations. And so the focus is on helping individuals as well as businesses build and protect their legacy. Um, And so estate planning or legacy planning is important for individuals, as well as those of you who may own a business or or are part of an organization, because the same as we have to think about what happens to us and our personal assets when we pass away, or if we are sick and unable to make decisions, you want to also think about your business of what happens if, you know, if I die unexpectedly, if I get sick unexpectedly. So Focusing on those are the practice areas, but everything uh, centers around building and protecting your legacy. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to drop your um, website in the chat. And so do you do consultations? Can people reach out to you? Do you cover D.C., Maryland, other states or? Yes. So I do offer consultations um, or do I do consultations. And then I have one, you know, where I'll do in a specific estate planning consultation. Um, but I am licensed in Maryland, D.C. and North Carolina. So in terms of legacy planning, if you want to just have a general conversation, I can do that. But if it comes to actually preparing the documents for you, then those are the states that I that I am licensed in with respect to copyright and trademark. That is more of a federal thing. And so I can represent you or assist you regardless of where you live, as long as you're a United States resident. Thank you. Thank you. And that is L.A. Legal Solutions with a Z on the end dot com. Thank you, Miss Lativia, for, you know, sharing with us your wisdom. If you would hold tight, we're going to have Q&A at the end and we'll bring you back and we'll give the audience a chance to ask some questions. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So our winner of trivia tonight I, I didn't know you were competitive too. I mean, I mean, I mean, was that luck or is that just how you roll? But yeah, is that is that just what you do? Oh, I've asked your question. I'm very competitive. That's it. Very competitive, and I really am. And, and we discover you love money, right? I mean, I do. Don't we all? 
I mean, it's a tool to get to where we want, you know, to, it's, it's, it's a tool. So I think we all have a fascination with money. Well, well, thank you for being here tonight. You know, I, I really wanted to do this segment because, you know, we had spoken with a lot of different people, but we hadn't spoken with a legal professional. And, you know, when I observed you in your session talking about stocks and finances, I'm like, oh, my goodness. The Southern Soul audience is just going to love them some you. I know you're going to come break it down for us. And, you know, I just appreciate you being here. But do you mind just, you know, giving us an introduction? Tell us about you, what you do. Thank you for having me, Calvin. Um, what do I do? In a nutshell, I break down numbers to help rebuild for profit. So I, I do my due diligence and my best to simplify what does it mean to invest in the stock market as well as close the, uh, the, the economic gap that we have and to, to be that person to make sure that you completely understand um, and I, I love what I do. I really do have a passion for it. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Now, you know, have you always been into um, financing? Uh, I mean, finances or, you know, have you did you start somewhere else and just kind of ended up there? Because I think you teach now, right? I do teach now. I teach economics. But to answer your question, did I start out in, in finance? No. Um, I've been in finance for 20 years. However, when um, I started out in undergrad, that was not what I wanted to pursue. I actually pursued um, psychology. I have my bachelor's in psychology and, and African studies. And, um, and I started pursuing neuropsychology and found that it was very boring. And then transitioned over to finance because I loved it. And happened to stumble upon um, investing, which was not a subject in my household growing up. We did not talk about investing at all. So for the past 20 years, I have been doing nothing but numbers. And now I have expanded into, as you said, um, teaching economics at a um, college as well. So yes. Awesome. You know, I, I love the story that you tell. Um, I think it was the story of teaching your son uh, mm -hmm. investing. You know, mm -hmm. you call that story, you know, I want to make sure I got it right. Do you mind sharing that with us? Absolutely. I would love to. So this is the thing. Um, not only do I invest, because a lot of people do not practice what they preach, but I do. And for, for us, we now have a 21-year-old. He'll be 21 next month. So I mean, next week. So, so at the same time, about 13, 14 um, years ago, uh, I remember my husband and I having a conversation because he loves his dad. It's like his superhero. So everything my husband does, he emulates. And my husband and I, we have two different spending habits, right? I'm what you call frugal. He calls me cheap. And my husband likes the ball out of control. Well, he did at that time. And our son will watch him do everything. And I will never forget, we start implementing financial conversations in our home every week. And one of the questions that I asked my husband was, are you comfortable with, with teaching our son how to be homeless? And he was like, what? Why are you so dramatic every time we speak? And I'm like, no, seriously. If he sees that when you get paid, you go out and spend all your money, but you have to walk around with $1,000 in your pocket. Who does that? That I digress. But if he sees you spend all this money with no game plan, no budget, he's going to do it as well because everything he does, even to this day, he says, am I like dad? I'm like, yes, you are his walking twin. So we started um, incorporating our son in our weekly financial meetings where 
either Thursday nights or Friday morning, we pull out, at that time we had spreadsheets, now modern technology. Uh, we had spreadsheets where we would go over the budget and talk about what we had in the household. And that really opened our son's eyes because I also did not want to teach him that if he heard the words from us to say no, because I said so, which our parents did to us every time we would ask for something, they would say no, because I said so. And for me, I thought I did something wrong. I didn't want him to feel that way. I actually wanted him to understand the fact that we may have it, but it's not allocated for whatever you want right now. So we started having those conversations. He started understanding what budget was. And then we started inviting him in to invest in the stock market at his age. So what we did, we gave him a task to go to school at that time and start looking around to seeing what other people had, whether they were Nikes, if they played on a PlayStation, if they had conversations about that, um, iPhones. And so he wrote everything down and we started looking to see what were publicly traded companies. And that's how we started with him investing. And to this day, he still does it. He reads about it and everything. Wow. You know, I, yeah. I love that story um, of, I mean, how hard is it to get, you know, a young person involved in finances, right? And I love that story because the openness to, you know, have a teenager sit down and go through mom and dad's finances. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, it sounds scary, but it sounds so, I mean, are you proud of that? What, what do you, what do you feel? Do you feel it, it helped him? It matured him? It made him comfortable? Was it nervous? It seemed like, I'd be nervous. I mean, what was your experience? Nervous as a parent? No, because I'm so transparent. Nervous for him? No, because he knows how his parents are. But I'm going to tell you this, it takes away the nervousness. And the tools that we taught him at that young age, he was able to bring it into his adulthood. He does not make decisions that has to do with his money without thinking about it first. But in addition, in, in addition to that, we also taught him, which I thought I, I wished we were taught when we were younger, to live off of 50% of his income. So he's always only lived off of 50% of his income, meaning when he gets paid, he doesn't go out and spend it. And of course, you know, we check in with him and ask him what his needs are, what his wants are, um, how much have you saved? So his dad actually sits down and talk about how much you're going to put it in the savings account. And I talk about how much you're going to invest. But I think as parents, we need to do this more often because we have this misconception that when our children turn 18, it's like a light switch and you work up, they should know everything, life skills, how to manage money, how to make decisions, when that's not the, the case. They need their hands held. So we always held his hand. And even as a young adult, he he's very comfortable with us. If people always ask, well, how does your son tell you everything? Because we have an open door policy where we do not make him feel less than or feel as though he should know this because rest assured society is going to treat him like that anyway, that he should know some things at his age. We answer his questions and we, we make it where he holds himself accountable so that he doesn't always have to seek outside resources to hold himself accountable. So by him knowing how to manage his money, how to invest, how to actually stop and ask questions like, do I need this? Do I want this? Is it going to make a difference in my life right now? Is it going to interfere with my future? Because we had the conversation with him, what do you want to do? He's actually an electrician now at his young age, and he still lives with us. And the game plan is you will live with us for another five years unless you want to continue to live with us. It's okay. And while you're here, you must save at least half of your income 
and invest the other. So yeah, it's, it's, it makes the youth have proper money management skills because if they don't, they end up like a lot of other adults and try to make ends meet from paycheck to paycheck and try to figure it out. Wow, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, um, that family story. Let's talk about the community, you know, legacy planning and the community. That's been the theme tonight, right? So, yes. I mean, I love the fact that you're an economist, right? Is that the best way to call it, economist? So, can, you can. I have okay, so many okay. different titles, so yes. Yeah, so, um, well, you, you watch the big picture, right? So I, 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 I noticed that from, you know, some of the things you do. Um, what are some major challenges you see in the Black community when it comes to this topic of investing and legacy planning? Oh, that's, that's, let me, let me say this as, as a community, our challenges are that we believe that we must earn a lot of money in order to invest. We are not aware that we can invest as small as $1, $5, $50, 500, 5,000. Also, I noticed that some of our challenges when it comes to leaving a legacy and investing is that we must change our mindset. Uh, from simply surviving mode. And I'm going to say that again. We need to change from a surviving mode to a thriving entitlement mode, right? That we have the right to have wealth, that we have a right to leave a legacy. We have a right to plan. Um, but the, we, we do not realize that investing basically begins with us. We have to invest in ourselves and invest in the community uh, we, one of the things that a lot of people ask, why do I have the nonprofit organization that I have, Brown Girls Do Invest, is because I want to make sure that we as a community learn, how can I teach others when we are not surviving here? So, and, and I intentionally, I, I love men, you know, I, I've been married for 28 years, but the African proverb that I really, really love is if you teach a man, you teach one person. If you teach a woman, you teach a nation. And so as a woman, I feel as though it's my obligation to go out and teach how to start investing in yourself. And that's through education and believing in yourself and not allowing other people to put their limitations on you and continue to move forward. And, and whatever you learn, share it, share it with your community. That is a beautiful statement. Um, say it again. If you, you teach a man, what's that again? African proverb is, if you teach a man, you teach one person. If you teach a woman, you teach a nation. I love it. I love it. You know, I've always been a fan of education and, you know, I've definitely found that to be true. When it comes to the topic of education, I just don't know why. I do not know why. But the sisters are doing their thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, tell me this, you know... I don't know. I think you, maybe you've already spoken to it, but, you know, you definitely have me um, re really deep in thought right now because I'm thinking about this, this this dynamic of community and and I'm hopeful. Right. But at the same yeah. time, I'm like, hmm, I, I don't know. I almost feel like what comes first, you know, the financial literacy or the community. But what if you're not community minded? I mean, it's complicated. Right. So mm -hmm. but I don't even want to get into that philosophical debate. It's just, you know, as you were thinking, I was like, wow, I would love that. That's very beautiful. But I guess maybe making it um, relevant to your, um, your your black girls do invest group. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. do you kind of focus on community principles first before you get into financing? Because I, I think also what, what happens or the challenges I see is that, you know, I definitely agree. We got to go from surviving to thriving. But oh my goodness, getting getting past that individualistic 
to a community perspective, oh, that's huge. So tell us about some of the things you cover um, in your Black Girls Do Invest. Well, with, with the Brown Girls Do Invest, we, we cover education, right? So we actually make it where it, there is a comfortable environment. And what I do is I do everything with intent. I make it very conversational. I make it where they anyone can anyone within our community can come in and ask questions. And we do have men come as well because a lot of women bring their husbands because they want to make sure that they are on the same accord. So for for us is is making sure that they understand exactly what is a stock, what is the stock market, what are ETFs. I love ETFs, exchange traded funds. It takes the guesswork, as I was sharing with you before, it takes the guesswork out of trying to choose individual stocks so that you are properly diversified. But um, I want to make sure that whoever is part of Brown Girls um, Do Invest understands their worth and understand that all they have to do is change their mindset, create a budget, and have a budget that includes how much they're going to contribute towards their investment. And once they do that, get into the practice of actually creating a schedule to invest each and every month. And what we do, we make it very comfortable and do it as a community as well so that we can share our best practices. And we look at it from a fundamental analyst point of view, as opposed to a technical and reading the charts, whereas we're reading articles, right? So like the other day, I was talking about how the um, the indexes, the, the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, they were down for like three consecutive, I said three trading sessions. And then I explained a trading session basically is a day, just little tools. And then we were talking about, hey, now as investors, you know, the, the market is going, is, is, going down somewhat because investors are trying to see what's going on when it comes to Russia and the potential war. And now the Federal Reserve is going to talk about how they're going to increase interest rates. So breaking that all down so then when they are watching these, these media outlets, they have an understanding as opposed to it being over their head and thinking, what does that have to do with me? Everything not only as a consumer, but an investor as well. Because at the, at the end of the day, what a lot of investors do not realize is that you are the one that controls this market. And I'm going to say that again. Consumers are the ones who control the market. If you're out there spending, you're controlling. If you pull back, then everyone's looking like, what's going on? Maybe they don't have confidence in this particular company or they don't like what's going on because of what could eventually evolve, hence war or not. Let's see. So I, I teach them to make sure that they're looking at the headlines and actually interpreting as well. You know, I, I love that. And I heard so many things that I love. So that's why I was smiling. I heard, first of all, good news, fellas. Um, correction, brown girls do invest. And we have been included, right? So when you hear Black Girl Magic, I know we ain't included, but that's okay. But brown girls do invest. They can bring their husband, their man with them, and he can learn as well. He can get a crust. Mm -hmm. They say the mm -hmm. crumb. So I, I, I love that. And I also love what I heard is the community of how y'all learn. You know, as an engineer, I'm accustomed to learning in a community. Mm -hmm. You know, as an MBA, I'm accustomed to learning in a community. It took me forever to realize that certain people weren't taught that way. They weren't taught to learn in a community. You know, they weren't taught like some of my PhD friends. I give them a hard time, but I'm like, 
y'all do my dissertation all by myself, but there's no community. So I love those nuances of community in what you um, cover. Okay, real, real quick personal question. What is some of the best financial advice you've ever received? the best financial advice I ever received. Basically, to self-educate. And when I self-educate, I, I basically need to implement those lessons that I learned. And a lot of people do not do that. They continue to read and read and read and not follow through. So for me, the best financial advice was make sure you learn make sure you're always learning and make sure you actually implement. And that's something that I share with a lot of people as well, whether they're involved with Brown Girls Do Invest or they're working with me um, through the financial uh, firm. One of the things that people cannot take away from you is your intellectual property, mm -hmm. right? They can take whatever, they can take all tangible goods, but <laughs> if you can fall back on what you have actually learned in life, and your resources, there is nothing anyone can say or do to you. So for me, the best advice that I received was, again, self-educate and actually implement. And that's what I want to tell everybody as well. And, and, and there are so many resources as far as books are concerned. Um, Google is a bad mamma jamma. Uh, and, but don't just take it for, you know, surface. Actually dig in and do your research. And you will be amazed at what you find out in life that you can actually implement to make you a better person. But again, for me, intelligence or education and community intertwine because you, one of the things my, one of my grandfathers taught me, my maternal grandfather, he always say, by here, um, hold your fist out. Can you get anything in? I'm like, no. Can you get anything out? No. So if you continue to hold everything so tight, not only are you not able to receive anything, but you're not able to share with other people as well. So let it go. Really. I, I love that. Mm -hmm. I am a fan of community. Thank you for sharing that. And I have already repurposed a few of those quotes. I will be listening to the recording. Oh. You wrote a book. Speaking about a book, Women Building Wealth. Um, tell us about that book. Why you write it? What is it about? Well, I wrote it because a lot of people um, want to learn how to invest in, in the, the stock market or real estate or what have you. But what they do not understand is it doesn't matter how much you, you learn, you have to build a foundation, right? So the book basically provides you with tools so that you can move forward. For instance, holding yourself accountable. And I share some, some things about myself and accepting some things as well. There's a whole chapter on acceptance. And let me just briefly explain to you why I wrote that, that chapter on acceptance, because a lot of people say, well, I want to do this and that and the other in the financial field. However, I there's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfect, right? So I share one of my experiences, how I had to accept the fact that I was committing financial abuse toward myself. Hmm. And even though I, of course, in the real world, you, you, you do not want to be abused, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, what have you. But for me, when I was working in corporate America, I was a VP at a global financial firm and I was earning quite a bit. I'm going to tell you this. My bonuses were like equivalent to my husband's annual paycheck. 
And I would say, okay, I'm not saving as much as I want to because I'm going to go ahead and buy whatever I want because over here I'm sacrificing so much. So I deserve this outfit. I deserve this pair of shoes. I deserve to do uh, whatever I want to do. In addition to that, I would commit financial abuse knowing I knew better, stack up my money on my 401k and turn around and borrow it, take out a loan to just pay it back. And I'm like, okay, knowing that's the wrong thing to do because I had it there because I felt that I'm going to earn this income. I can replace it. I could do whatever. I was committing financial abuse. So it's about, uh, it's about acceptance, right? It's about acknowledging who you are. It's about acquiring leadership. So, so after each chapter, I give you some tools on how you can improve your life in order for you to go ahead and start investing because we all know if you do not, it's going to be a malicious cycle and you're just going to continue to repeat yourself over and over and over again. So until I start accepting who I was um, based off of one of those chapters, exhibiting leadership, uh, wealth building, I would have continued to start dipping into my brokerage accounts, which I do not do anymore, of course. But I'm not ashamed to say that many moves ago, I did that. Um, and it wasn't right. So with, with women building wealth, uh, financial wellness, habits to financial wellness, it literally is talking about the habits that you need to acknowledge as well as change in order to move forward. Because if we don't, we just be stuck in where we are, just stagnant. Yeah, brothers, I'm getting a copy of that. Um, it says women building wealth, but I'm going to cop me uh -huh. a copy of that one. Yeah, I think it's for everybody. It's yeah, for everybody. I, that's what I picked up on because I'm like, wait, shopping, wait, balling out of control. Wait, yeah, core principles. I, I tell people wisdom is universal, right? So mm -hmm. everything you put down, you may have woman on the front. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The brothers, hey, <laughs> you need to get a copy of that too. So I think that's on Amazon, right? We can get that on Amazon? It is. It is on Amazon. Yes, it is. Okay, great, great. So one last question, and we're going to bring back Lativia, and we're going to do some Q&A. So audience, be thinking about some questions that you want to uh, um, ask these ladies because, you know, there's so much wisdom in the room tonight. So I'm really um, excited, and I'm trying my best not to geek out. So y'all y'all bear with me. So let, let's talk about, um, well, let's just do the services that you offer, right? Tell us about, you know, um, we're going to drop your website into the chat, but tell us about the service you offer and, you know, we're going to make sure that people know how to find you. Okay. So as you, as I spoke about Brown Girls Do Invest, that is our nonprofit organization I've had since 2014. Um, it became 501c3 in 2016. Long story short, our services are that we um, actually educate you on how to invest in the stock market, how to invest in real estate, and how to acquire multiple streams of income. And we do that, excuse me, through uh, panel discussions, conferences, um, BC, before COVID, BC, we were actually, we were actually traveling um, throughout the United States, and we would have conferences on average, um, any, anywhere by 500 women sold out, right? I think out of all the conferences, we had one gentleman, and he was like, where am I? But he enjoyed it. Um, so, so again, we have telephone um, conversations where a bunch of us meet up, Zoom, what have you. Every month, and, and something what I've been doing too lately, uh, because I read an article from CNBC last year that 59% of Black women, 59% of Black women do not invest in anything. So for me, I'm on a crusade to decrease that percentage, right? So every month, 
what I do is I take novice investors' hands and we have a three-day workshop every month where we sit down and we literally create a budget and I walk through and talk about all the financial statements that you should have, um, what's the percentage you should, the suggested percentage you should contribute toward your brokerage account. Then we research brokerage accounts and, and I compare it on a platform. And then he, the second day we actually open our account, we, tr we make our initial transfer in it. And we um, set up the amount that we're going to transfer every, every pay period. And then on a third business day, we actually go in and purchase our ETFs. That's what we do at Brown Girls Do Invest. However, my bread and butter is um, my financial firm, Decimalytics. And with Decimalytics, we actually, I've been an entrepreneur for 2008 and we rebranded during COVID in 2020. We actually are a finance team for small businesses. We have clients and employees throughout the United States, Venezuela, as well as Kenya. And what we do is we go in and um, operate it on whatever capacity you need from bookkeeper, financial analyst, tax accountant, we have CPAs. I work in the capacity and in investment strategist. We're actually trying to solidify to be a private equity firm by the end of this year as well. So whatever you need, whether it's ongoing service or hit or miss uh, for us to go over your books, or even if you feel like you have a grasp on it, we make sure that your, um, your accounting software is set up properly. I want to, I, the reason why I started um, Decimalytics for one, it means interpretation, meaningful pattern of numbers, because it's very important for you to understand what those numbers are. Because as business owners, we go in and we're like, I just want to earn this money. We're like, okay, but what's your revenue? What's your expenses? What, what does this mean? If you're looking at your P&L or any other reporting, you it's like gibberish to you. So we also give financial training. That's the initial thing. Anytime someone onboards with us, we give them uh, financial training to talk about what their numbers mean and break it down. So with Decimalytics, our services are uh, working as a uh, finance team for small businesses. Awesome. And we are remote. Yes, of course, we're all I, remote. I love it. Decimal... Lytics. Lytics. Decimalytics.com. I love yes. it. Well, thank you, Bahia, for breaking it down today. You're thank welcome. you for sharing with us some of your awesome stories and experiences. And it all makes sense to me now. You were an executive at a financial firm. It mm -hmm. all makes sense. I'm seeing fancy outfits, fancy everything. And, and then I'm seeing... Pause, you are balling out of control. Come on home, mm -hmm. baby. Come on back home. Exactly. You know what I mean? So let's get this thing right. And and you've been doing good. You've been productive. You got your nonprofit. You got your book. You got your, you know, your consulting company. It, it's just awesome to see what you're doing. So we definitely have to have you back at Southern Soul to, you know, maybe do one of our mini workshops that we're going to be kicking off pretty soon. But let's bring uh, Lativia back and let's do some Q&A um, with the audience. Oops, where did my screen go? I have just a quick question. Um, and it is, how did you decide the countries that Decimalytics would operate in? Because I think you said Venezuela and, and Kenya also, yes. Well, the, the reason why I decided is because um, clients reached out as well as uh, potential employees reached out to me. 
for us, it was making sure that we were in front of everyone who has a needs. I mean, as you know, small business, well, businesses itself, they establish based off of a phenomenon. And I felt, especially going through my doctoral program, I found, I find that a lot of small business owners are not sustainable because they lack the, the financial resources that is provided. So for me, it was having the conversation once someone came to me to see, was I a, were we able, because we have a staff of 15, were we able to address their needs? And it doesn't matter which country or continent you're on, everyone needs to make sure that they have some sort of financial growth. So I'm open to yeah. each and every place on this earth. I, I'm not limiting my abilities and I'm not limiting the um, the possibility of helping someone grow and understand the numbers. So yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I was curious about those two countries. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, so I have a question, right? Um, financial legacy, right? So this is just a broad question for you and Lativia. I mean, what does, you know, how would you like your, you know, financial legacy to look? What does that look like to you? Mm. Well, Latavia, you want to go first? I was going to say, I would defer to her. But, uh, okay. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know if you, I can speak first if you want to. Okay. I'm okay with that. For, for me, what I want my financial legacy, since we're talking not just legacy itself, financial legacy to uh, include not just stocks, um, but I also want to include real estate. And a lot of people do not realize that stocks and real estate are going to allow you to leave that legacy. And when I tell you it's very important for me to have an understanding, not just for me passing, my husband and I passing this information along to our son, we, we actually, uh, my, my mom is the, out of the four parents are the one that's still alive. And bringing my mom in and, and actually talking to her and say, listen, not only do you have a primary residence, but you have um, um, you also have um, property that you rent out, right? Investment property, don't sell it. A lot of problem is uh, in our community, we sell everything as opposed to holding on to it. So I convinced her to leave. We, we had a conversation, not just with her and I, with the family of who was more responsible. Of course I won, I'm competitive, but who was, who was more responsible as far as leaving this legacy and continuously passing it down, right? So when you think about this, and I'm gonna try to make this um, short so so that uh, Latavia can answer as well. I want us to think about this as a, as a community, right? Not just for myself, but what I'm practicing as well as what I would like for other people to leave as a legacy and having both ownership in real estate as well as stocks. So when we think about that, they both have the ability to appreciate and allow us to provide generational wealth, right? Also known as legacy. And if we were to begin with home ownership as primary estate, it would drastically change the trajectory of our future. So when we think about this, we have to think about comparing ourselves, and I don't like to compare, but the numbers. 84% of white parents are homeowners. And roughly 45% of Black parents are homeowners. 
But when we take a step back, and that's current, and when we look back in 1970, that was a good year, in 1970, Black home ownership was roughly uh, 42%. And, and that's, that's, that's not a severe increase for a black community when you think about it. 1970, 42%, uh, 42% and now 45%. So when you think about this, in 2021, the median uh, value of a home in the United States was uh, $375,000. In 2019, it was $258,000. In 1970, it was $17,000. So just think, if we practice what we supposed to do by living a legacy in 1970, if we had that home for $17,000 and continue to pass it on, right? Leaving a legacy, which is what I practice, leaving that legacy. Look how much wealth we building up in that, in that equity in that home. We can pull that equity out. We can buy more rental property. We can invest in the stock market. We can build our community. So for me, it's not just our family. That's why I love to share. That's why I was so excited to be on your show. Just sharing what works well why in reinvent the wheel when we can see how another family is doing it? So for me, legacy is literally building this financially wealth, this financial wealth and sharing and just building on and building on and building on. And when, when I do pass transition, I want people to remember me as someone who um, educated others and held their hand and was 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 basically a resource and did not, did not mind stepping up and challenging whoever wanted to be challenged. So that's my legacy. Awesome. You know, uh, I, I wish um, we let her go last because I don't know anybody going to go after that. Anybody want to uh, go after don't, that? Don't, don't, don't do that, Calvin. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so let's, let's go to the audience. I mean, feel free to audience. I mean, um, Audience, we typically have a radio listener type audience, so they act shy, but they're really not. But anyone in the audience can feel free to um, answer that question as well of what you would like to see your financial and personal legacy be. So what would we call it? Financial legacy and um, living legacy? Say, I don't know. Just but, but, but Let's just say legacy. Yeah, just legacy. Anyone else would like to share what they would like that to look like? Rudy, you unmuted. Did you want to say something or did you have a question? Yeah, I had a question. Um, this is for uh, Miss Alexander. Um, I recently had some family members that, well, in the past couple of years, I had some family members pass away and the families that were left to, uh, to deal with the estates and whatever properties and, and, and monies they had, both of these family members, I see them uh, have to deal with legal problems. Um, in addition to even having a will, um, is this always going to happen? Is there always going to be legal problems regardless of what you do? Or if we, or is this, I mean, what I'm asking is, is it 100% foolproof if we do everything the way you did? Or is there always going to be something like that? My default answer is it depends, unfortunately, but I think if what you're, I think I understand what you're saying is there may have been a will, there were things in place, but they still had to go through and deal with the court. Yes. Um, so yeah, so that's what's called the probate process. So as great as it is to have a plan and you create a will, there is still the probate process. So there is some 
I would say some involvement from the court. Um, there are, I would say there's always going to be some legal component. Um, uh-huh. There are ways, and if we get into a little bit more advanced, um, I would say leg planning, um, there are ways around or things that you can do to avoid or limit what you have to do with the probate process. Um, so I touched on it earlier in terms of, you know, having life insurance policies, yeah. adding things, you know, the transfer on death to your bank account. Um, if you do own real property, you can either there, you could create a trust, you could create, um, as, as she mentioned, real estate um, investment, you could create an LLC that owns yeah. the property. Um, you can trans, you can go ahead and add someone else's name to the the title of the property. So there are things that you can do to avoid probate. And that's Uh honestly what I would say, that's what white people have been doing for years. The wealthy have been doing for years. We just, we didn't know about it. We didn't, I think is we didn't know we could because they didn't make it known or they made us think that we couldn't. So I guess the answer to your question is it depends. There's always going to be some legal component um, because yeah. the I going to find a way to get their money one way or the other. Um, but there are things that you can do to limit what you have to go through probate for. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I love that discussion because it, it connects the dots with imagine, you know, Rudy, someone like him hires a professional and expresses that direct concern. Say, hey, I want to try to minimize this headache. Right. You know, and I don't even know what a probate is, but it sounds like some contested scenario, right? But it sounds like that's the headache that you want to work with a professional and say, how do I reduce this? Yeah. No, yeah. Probate is, I would say, an antiquated term, but they still use it. But it's essentially the process of administering the estate. It's, you know, have to formally open the probate process with the court. Um, so like I said, you, there are things that you can do even with a will to minimize it, but you are still going to have to deal with that part. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Rudy. Anyone else? Um, what was the question in the chat? Should buy this stock when the market is selling off? I don't understand that question. I do. Oh, go ahead. Um, the thing is, it depends. That's that's a subjective question. And, and I say that because for me to go in to say, yes, buy, uh, because a lot of people buy when stocks fall because they look as though it's on sale. And this is this is the disclaimer. If it's been on your watch list for quite some time, for, for me, I like to tell people to watch it for at least 30 days. It may be a long time for you for 30 days, but you get to really track the performance. So if you've been tracking the performance and you, now this is where the technical part comes in, although I, I like to say fundamental because we read the articles and everything. But if you're looking at the charts and you're tracking the performance and you see how well it's performing or not during a, a certain time and you know that there is a potential for an increase and you've been reading the articles, you know how the leadership is, you know what the outlook of the company is, you reading um, their expectations, have they met or exceeded in the past as opposed to continuously falling under, you can. I'm not going to say you should, you can, but dabble a little bit. You know, if you go to the pool, you put your little pinky toe in there to see if the water's warm or cool or not. 
do that with that stock. Don't just take your whole last $500 and say, just drop it in the bucket and get it. So I wouldn't say should, but I would say be cautious. Now, if you are just jumping on a bandwagon and everybody's saying, oh my goodness, that's falling, that's falling, that's falling, you're welcome. Um, go ahead and get it because it's on sale. But how did you research the company? If I ask you about the company, if you cannot explain to me in three sentences or less what it is, don't spend your money on it because now you're he and high. You're like, uh, uh, but but Junebug told me to get it because he just put all his money in, especially <laughs> cryptocurrency. That's a whole nother conversation. Although I like cryptocurrency. Uh, if you if listen, let me tell you, if you are a parent. And you have teenagers or have had teenagers, that's cryptocurrency because they all over the place. One moment they love you, another one they don't. Very volatile, right? You're like, can't you get it together, please? That's cryptocurrency. But my thing, Samika's laugh. But my thing is, don't say should. If you've been following it and you feel in your heart like, okay, let me just go ahead and dabble a little bit, then that's when you can do it, right? Awesome, that's, awesome. That's my two cents. Mr. Bass, we do have a question for you. It is, do you help individuals with their investing or are you, are you working solely with business clients? Business clients, we're B2B. Okay. okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. So I see a question from Paula and Pauline. Is it best to make sure your money is available to deal with court issues? How do I anticipate how much it will cost? And I think that question is for Latavia, right? Mm -hmm. I don't say that is Latavia, excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, my default is yes, even kind of going back to um, what Bahia was talking about in terms of saving. It's I think it's best to have some money set aside. Um, but that's where going back to, I would say that someone is, the, the onus is on the person or on us. If I'm making plans, um, hopefully you have life insurance. If not, I encourage everyone to get some form of it because that's another way to, if we, if I don't have it now, I can at least make sure my children have something. You know, I start them off so that way, if there is any debt, they can pay that off and they have a little bit of a, a lump sum to start doing something with. Um, so that's one thing. So yes, I would say make sure there is some funds available. If you know that your family member has has a will, um, you know, do they have anything in a savings account um, or if they have life insurance or if you know that you have been listed as someone's personal representative or executor, have those conversations with them about, okay, because even in one thing that people don't always think about or know is, you know, do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? What do you want to happen? And a lot of times, a lot of money is spent on a funeral and on a coffin that is literally going into the ground. And so it's like, that's an area of, you can prepay for some of these things. So it's, hey, have you thought about what you want, where you want to be buried? And so figuring out what the funds, what they want will help you anticipate the cost. Um, from the legal standpoint, the probate cost, it, it varies based on the state and your county. Um, those are minimal in terms of what you're paying for the filing fees for the court and to publish and uh, the min uh, earlier, Calvin, you mentioned in terms of having to put things in the newspaper. That is still, that is a part of the process, maybe not the newspaper itself, but it has to be published um, in terms of whether or not there's creditors. Um, but the best thing to do is have the conversation with the person. Um, I, I always say, have the conversation with yourself first. Like, what do I want? And what would I 
do I really care about what they do after I pass? And if you do, be specific. I always tell people, this is your one last chance to tell people what to do and how to do it on your terms. I have a friend who she says, this is going to be the best party. You know, my one last hurrah, I'm throwing my part. I want my funeral to be a party. So the best thing to do is have the conversations. And then that way you can estimate of, hey, this is something you know that they need to have in their account when they pass away and that they need to add you as a joint owner or list you as the beneficiary in terms of the transfer on death. Can awesome. I add something to that too, please? Yes, please do. Um, if if you can, because I see how much, how do I anticipate how much it will cost? Like Latavia was saying, it varies from state to state. Do your research. And you remember that little B word that I mentioned at the beginning? Not by here, budget. Damn. So you start, so, so, so just like with your emergency fund, how much you're going to put away? Because you hear advisors say, oh, three months. We already know three months is not going to cover anything. I always tell people 12 months. And it may take you six, five or six years to save 12 months. But you are literally creating everything. So like, like Latavia and I are saying, have that conversation starting with yourself as well as your loved ones. You're talking about how much do I need to put away? This is part of the financial conversation period. It could be all lumped up some. How much do we need to put away? How often are we going to put away? What is the goal that we're going to put away? But don't stop there. I'm going to tell you this. For us, we have this. We have this, our little box with our manila folders in our box. And we literally have a conversation. The last conversation we had, my husband and I, we, we, uh, we left out and we went somewhere and our, and our son was here. And I just reiterated Lord forbid something happens, we don't come back, you know what the box is, right? So the box has in there our life insurance, who the beneficiaries are, everything, our checking account numbers, our credit card information, passwords. So then, and then you have to disclose to these people that who he or she is the beneficiary, what you're doing, what the intentions are, because we all know at that time, we're already in our emotions. We do not know what's going on. We're trying to figure out who's paying for what. And that's the, you know, these GoFundMe accounts coming up and the money's already sitting there. And they hadn't, the table's rolling her eyes because you know it's true. <laughs> and nobody had a conversation that said that my grandmother had a $100,000 policy and we can pay for this funeral, pay off the house and do everything else. Have these conversations and actually document and put it into these folders and tell whoever this beneficiary is where all this this paperwork is right this is what i need for you to do in addition to making sure that you're going to um have the money to the side um so so make have those conversations please and and put the money to the side and don't be secretive about things people always want to be secretive we need to make sure that we're doing this now this is the last thing uh because you see i'm long-winded let me tell you this Somebody said, I want, you know what? Uh, so <laughs> let me tell you this. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how the others get rich because, and how they also leave legacy, not just through homes and stocks. The matriarch and the patriarch of the family has a huge um, life insurance. Now my mom is going to kill me for sharing this, but I made her do this. So we have, you know, she has the grandkids, right? Because she's the only, the, my husband and my, uh, my, my, my husband's parents are now deceased. My dad passed last year. So my mom now, and I said, listen, now, now it's on your shoulders. This is what I need for you to do. Let's get a policy or more than one policy. Let's go ahead and write down the grandkids' names. So at your demise now, you, we can do one, one or two things. And we sat down with the grandkids. We say, listen, you can pay for these, um, the premiums every month. So then when your Nana pass, you're the beneficiary, 
it goes to you. Now you didn't even do anything and you already $100,000 richer. Each and every one of you have $100,000. But auntie is telling you where you're going to put this money. So this is how we're going to start. You're either going to invest or you're going to buy a home or you're going to do a business that's flourishing, not, not something that you start in yourself. They've already started looking into franchises. So now, yes, we're, te- we're, we're, we're crying because we lost our matriarch, but now our matriarch has left another legacy because everybody has a piece of the life insurance, whether it's your own life insurance, did you pay the premium? Or a huge life insurance, and she already, we, again, we sat down and she told me, this person's getting this percentage, that person's getting that percentage. It's your responsibility to make sure this happened. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. But those are some things that we don't have a conversation about that other people are doing and we're not. We're too busy living paycheck to paycheck and not thinking about how we can maximize this opportunity as well. And I hate to use the word it's opportunity, but let's go ahead and turn this situation around where we can have a legacy. Wow. I mean, I'm speechless. I want to go on forever, but we cannot. What I would love to do is after mic drop, Arva says, I know. <laughs> she's like, mic drop. There's one more question. And I just want to let, let me close out with a thank you first. Thank you, Latavia. Thank you, Bahia, for being here tonight and breaking it down. This is a topic that has been a year in the making. We celebrate a year and going live this month, actually last week, and we're going to be celebrating with a big hurrah. But since last year, I've been asked about this question legacy. I've been asked, hey, we need to find some people who can really break it down for the people. It took us about a year, but we made it. So I want to thank you for being that person, for being those people who come together and share this information that is so rich and so valuable. And guess what? You didn't charge for it. You know what that's called? That's called community. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.